Where Dreams Come From is a podcast featuring successful people from around the world who have pursued their dreams to arrive at a station in life. I'm your host, Sanjeev Chatterjee. I'm a professor of cinema and journalism, and in my creative life, I make documentary films. I started this podcast to explore what it takes for people to follow their dreams, even while being true to who they are, at least who they believe they are. Trained as an engineer at the Indian Institutes of Technology, or IIT, my guest Rahul Banerjee gave up the securities of an Indian middle-class life to serve his country. He threw his lot behind the indigenous Bheel tribal folk in central India. Along the way, he has completed a PhD, become an Ashoka Fellow, and completed numerous research projects for organizations internationally. But the central focus, as Banerjee explains, has been a lifelong process of unlearning and then organizing to secure constitutional rights for the poorest of the poor in India. This conversation is a snapshot of that journey. Rahul Banerjee, welcome to Where Dreams Come From. You were born in Calcutta? Yeah. And I would love to hear a little bit about your early memories of growing up in that city. I was in Calcutta from 65 onwards when I was five years old. In the 70s, when I became a little bit more conscious of what's going on, uh, that was the time, early 70s, when the Naxal movement was going on. For the benefit of, of the audience, uh, could you briefly explain what the Naxal movement or the Naxalite movement was all about? The Naxalites in India were, uh, the, the formal name was Communist Party of India, Marxist-Leninist. And uh, they uh, were advocates of the Maoist line, saying that, you know, India uh, is mostly peasants, so you will have to have a peasant revolution. You know, they formed these armed squads and all that in various areas, and then they came into the urban areas also. And they were called Naxalites because the first uprising of these people took place in a village called Naxalbari in North Bengal. But basically their thing was that to overthrow the state, the state has to be overthrown, but it has to be done by the peasant masses. Thank you for that uh, clarification. You went to fairly elite institutions in your high school as well as in your college. Is that a departure for, uh, for you in terms of what you did later in life? The school that I studied in Lama Tenia, so that uh, I come from a upper middle class family. So I went to that school. The school itself, whatever it taught and all that, that is a different thing altogether. But because of this Naxal movement, there's a different influence that is outside the school. I used to think about all these things, you know. First, there was the Naxal movement, which because it was an armed struggle, a small kind of thing that was crushed. But after that, there was the Jayaprakash Narayan who brought about that Sapoon Kranti Andolan, which is a mass movement, which is the biggest mass movement that has been there in India after independence. And the background to that was that the economy was going down, tanking. The GDP of India, it, it was a negative GDP and there was inflation also. So both negative GDP and inflation, that had an effect on the poor. And so you had this massive mass movement. And then that was as a counter to that, Indira Gandhi brought in emergency, you know, uh, suppression of civil rights. And for two years, there was suppression of civil rights and all that. All these things happened at that time, which had an impact on me that made me question as to what was going on. So that, so even though I studied in an elite school, that, that, uh, that was countered by this. 
The other thing is that why did I go to an elite institution like IIT, you know, to become an engineer? In our own family, for two or three generations, we have had engineers. You know, my grandfathers, then, then father and uncles and all that. Most of them are engineers. I have read that you actually met a tribal man driving a bullock cart while you were in IIT, which seems to be a turning point. Yeah, actually, it's part of a larger story. The thing is that after joining IIT, from third year onwards, I began having doubts about, you know, the course itself. Near the IIT, there are these villages which are populated by tribes, scheduled tribe uh, people, indigenous people. So we used to go there uh, and then uh, try to teach them. And then we found out that it's not just a question of education, it's their whole livelihoods. They don't have any money for, you know, even food let alone education and health and all that, that comes later. So that made me a question. And the IIT has a very good humanities section, the library that is. So you get all these books, you know, Indian philosophy, Western philosophy, whether it's politics, Marx, or whether it's Gandhi or anything, all those books were there. So I started reading all that, you know, trying to understand what is happening. When you enter the IIT, IIT Kharagpur, there's a motto that says, dedicated to the service of the nation. So the question is, which nation? You know, there's these upper middle class people like us, all these people, uh, you and I and all these, uh, who, who are the top 1%, 2%, who are coming off the cream of, of the whole country. And there's this other 90, 95%, 96% people who are, you know, uh, totally at the margins. Now, at least after the last uh, 20, 30 years, things have improved a little bit. At that time, as I said, poverty levels were very high, 1980s and all that. And I could see that uh, the hostel where I used to stay, in front of that, there was a, a field in which uh, tribal drivers with bullock carts full of hay, they used to come and wait there for the night. And then the next day, they used to go off to the market to sell the hay. The hay belonged to somebody else, some rich fellow. He was selling it in the market, but these guys used to transport that hay there. So one day, I, uh, with another friend of mine, we went and talked to these people, you know. Uh, what, what they are doing and all that. So they used to say, we, we get uh, two rupees a day for, you know, carting this stuff, uh, hay there and selling it and things like that. And then I asked them whether they knew what this all these buildings were. So they said, that, no, we just spend our night out here. So then I explained to him that for this building, this is a uh, institute where, you know, uh, people learn to become engineers, this, that and all that kind of thing to help the nation. Uh, whatever. And then on a impulse, I asked that fellow, <laughs> that whether he thought his son could study in this. So then uh, he gave a smile as if I was joking. He said, well, how, how can my son study in this uh, almost 40 years after independence? And you have these people, they can't even dream. You know, they're, 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 they're just at the bottom somehow living. So that, uh, that had an impact. So I immediately after that, I decided that I will try and work for this. So that, that was the story. In, in India, the indigenous population is the worst in economic terms. You know, if you see their conditions, they are in the worst situation. So that was a choice that uh, I will work with this uh, set of people who are the most disadvantaged and see if can, something can be done for them. Is that the point at which uh, you felt that you had defined a dream for yourself? Not a dream, actually, whether it's Gandhian stuff or whether it's uh, Marxian stuff. Both of them I found 
<laughs> to be uh, you know not very viable so the thing was that uh, I, i was confused uh, the only thing that i knew was that something has to be done at the grassroots you know that whatever the situation is is very bad and something has to be done what has to be done that i wasn't clear so the thing was that uh, i even thought of giving up my studies but because there was a lot of pressure from home and all that i managed i i, I completed my degree so even in fourth year i had thought that i would leave but i didn't do that i completed my degree and then after that i i, I hit the uh, rural area what did it did it comprise of and uh, was there a period of training of some kind there was this uh, organization called social work research center which was uh, founded by a person called uh, sanjit roy popularly known as bunker roy so i got in touch with him and he said that yes you can come and help with our uh, rural development work so then i went there and uh, there i met a person called khemraj he had gone to uh, alirajpur in madhya pradesh to work among the bheels bheel uh, tribes so he he had come there for some work and we got talking and then he said that why don't you come all this is okay development and all that but basic thing is you have to fight for rights and things and we are doing that so why don't you come and join us so i said fine so that's how i came to aliraj and when you talk of training it's actually training in the field whatever i had learned uh, as uh, in the iit to become an engineer that at that point of time was useless so i had to learn on the ground you know the various problems that those uh, people were facing the bheel adivasis i want to know about your acceptance as an outsider actually by the time i joined uh, this uh, organization in alirajpur it had already established itself you know uh, the that credibility part that that was faced by uh, people before me so they they had one uh, major strike against uh, a contractor who was uh, building a dam and not paying the minimum wages and all that so all that took place before i had gone there so it was mostly in my case the thing was that as a bengali uh, the, my food habits are different and i uh, suddenly land up in a area where you know people uh, eat only jowar bajra millets and things like that and uh, that also in very low quantities because they were extremely poor when when i went there now things have improved but at that time they sometimes ate only once so that that food thing was there the other thing was language at that time they never spoke hindi they very few people spoke hindi they spoke their own language bhili so i had to pick up the language so at a personal level these problems were there then uh, that that whole area was a hilly area so there is no transport so you have to walk all the time going up and down the hill so it's a hard life did you have a salary no no we we didn't have any salary you spend most of the time with the people so the there's two advantages one is that your costs go down because they are taking care of your costs and the other is that because you have so such a huge interaction with the people then the amount of you know mobilization work that goes up so that's how it is some, some money used to come from swrc you know the costs used to be as as low as possible nowadays it's not possible to work like that so there are various other costs and all that at time we, we didn't even have radios let alone laptops and things like that and mobile phones and all that that was not there so i remember that in 1984 when indira gandhi was assassinated 
Kemraj told me that for 15 days he didn't know about that because there's no access to any news. Should we look at that experience uh, as a romantic experience? My personal case, it's not romantic because I'm not uh, th that kind. I told you right from the beginning, I have doubts. Uh, in, fa in fact, when I went there also, I had great doubts about ex exactly how much we can achieve given the uh, kind of uh, oppressive structures that are there and the people, the status of the people, you know. The, at that time, the, the people, they, they didn't even know that they were part of a democracy. You know, very few people used to vote, first of all, some 10%, 55%. They still thought that they were part of a kingdom and the earlier king had been replaced and instead you had the forest department and the police department and the various other government employees. They, they were like representatives of the king. Actually, in those early, early part of our work, our main work used to be to try and convince these people that you are part of a democracy. There is a constitution, uh, however flawed that constitution is, but it still has some rights and entitlements, and especially for tribal, for for indigenous people, there is a special. There are some special sections in the constitution, and there are special laws that give them some protection. Romanticism comes in where you want to overthrow the state and things like that, you know. We were not in that. Our thing was that let us try and implement the constitution and various other laws that are there in favor of tribals. And the other aspect was that uh, there are some laws that are inimical to the tribals, like forest laws and things like that. So how, how to counter those laws? The laws of the state that are against you, you have to fight that. So there's no romanticism in that. How does your work relate to the changes that have taken place over the last 40 years? The main thing is that, as I said, that the constitutional provisions, they have begun working. You know, whatever the positive provisions that are there for the tribes people, uh, not only in our area, but throughout the country. So that, that, that is one aspect. And the other aspect is that the inimical laws, like the Indian Forest Act, for instance, that has been countered by the Forest Rights Act. You know, this, uh, this whole problem of uh, Adivasis historically having their cultivation uh, and the community control of the forest, which was taken away by the British. So that has been corrected, this Forest Rights Act. Then the Land Acquisition Act, which was very anti-people, that has been changed. That, that's gone and now you have a better act for compensating people and rehabilitating them if they have to be uh, displaced. And then there is something called the Panchayat Extension to Schedule Areas Act. So in India, uh, what you have is you have two kinds of scheduled areas. One is in the northeast, which is called the sixth schedule area. And the rest is the places where we work, most of the uh, tri uh, tribes areas in this country, which are the fifth schedule areas. I will not talk about the sixth schedule areas because that's in the northeast. Uh, I will just restrict uh, myself to the fifth schedule areas where we work. So in that, there is a provision within the fifth schedule that Adivasis, their traditional hamlets, the Gram Sabhas, as they call, call it, the traditional hamlet, they can control their development. All, all, the, all everything, everything with respect to their uh, development uh, needs and even their policing and you know education needs, everything they can control. That has become operational. Then there's the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act. Then the Right to Education Act. All these acts that have come, which uh, give a lot of entitlement to the uh, people. So if you have a strong organization, then you can implement these acts. It's, it's not as if, you know, the act is there so it will get implemented. 
it's not like that. The, the the kind of resources that they can get from the state or even from the market, their bargaining power in the market, that has increased as a consequence of, of this work that we have done. At a larger level, if you see, you know, this whole thing of development itself, that is problematical on, on two levels. One is the the just uh, justice aspect where people most of the people don't get paid minimum wages also and the other aspect is the environment aspect where you know the nature is being devastated and you have climate change and now you have covid and all these kind of things covid is just the trailer uh, however much we say that we are going to control and all that uh, it's gone you know that that whatever the golden era of capitalism is now in bad shape because nature has start, started striking back so at that level, that we need a different kind of development, which respects both the people, gives them a, a decent wage, and also respects nature, does not you know harm nature. At that level, we have not been able to do much. What is your response if someone says that Rahul Banerjee is a socialist? No, no, I am not a socialist because I I try to say I I try to classify myself as an anarchist, though even that is problematical. The The basic thing is that you have to have a bottom-up system. You know, who are going to take the decisions with regard to the economy? Main thing is the economy. How, how are you going to run the economy? So at present, the decision is taken in New York. You know, if you see the whole world, it's basically controlled by Wall Street. You know, all the big biggest financial institutions are all in Wall Street. So it is they who decide. And the thing is that if you see the world trade, the amount of trade in currencies, you know, just buying and selling the dollar, rupee, yen and all that, that is 20 times the trade in actual goods and services. Now, what is this trade in currencies? It is whatever resources that the whole human civilization has accumulated over the years. It started 10,000 years ago when agriculture came and surpluses. Basically, you have to accumulate surplus. If you accumulate surplus, then you can think of multiplying that. If you are just living hand to mouth, you go out and do some hunting and gathering and come back and finish it off, then you cannot you know, progress. So that, that became possible with animal husbandry and agriculture 10,000 years ago, which is called the Neolithic Revolution. Now, from that time onwards, we have been accumulating resources and resources and resources. And today, that all that resources in, is in the banks. And that is being traded all the time. Now, now, the thing is that whatever is traded in currencies, that does not produce any surplus. Actual surplus will come only from goods and services. You know, somebody makes a laptop or somebody makes a table, then there is some actual addition of value. Somebody sells a, a stock or a currency for some uh, money and makes some money from that. That does not produce any value. That value has to come from somebody making the table or whatever. This is the system that is there, that is controlled by these financial institutions. And they are the ones who are deciding what is to be done and what is not to be done. Whereas people like us, we are saying that this is a destructive system. It destroys society, it destroys the economy, and it destroys the environment. You have to have a bottom-up system where 
all these resources you distribute once again you know from the banks you put them back into the people's hands it's not a question of going back back to nature or anything not like that thing is that there are technologies you have to decide how to use that technology whether whether that technology how you will use so that the least amount of harm is done to society and to environment so so you work the other way around you do not work that you have a uh, thousand rupees with you you do not think about how to increase that thousand to 1100 or something like that you know which is how the people in new york in the financial sector they they are not bothered about what is happening they are just bothered that that 1000 must become 1100 we on the other hand we are saying that don't do it in uh, money terms you see that that person who is living there at the bottom uh, how can his uh, living improve uh, and how can nature not be destroyed for instance in gdp terms that that joke is there that if there's a, a tree standing then it has no value when you cut it then it becomes part of the gdp so the, this whole priority has to change so that is how uh, i i see the whole thing it seems to me that all labels of socialist capitalist uh, nihilist whatever it is they are also being disrupted in the current disruption in the world is there a name for it or should we give it a name oh actually the thing is that see if uh, right from the 1930s there, there there's nothing called capitalism or socialism you know you have a mixture of the two so if you take the united states also united states has three forms of government the federal government is there then the state governments are there and then the local governments are there and the most important work is done by the local government it provides education free and it provides policing free this this, this whole thing uh, this capitalism socialism and all that 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 become obsolete now that is why you have uh, concepts like universal basic income and all that coming in if you take family as the unit every family must be able to fulfill uh, its potential in terms of education health and whatever it wants to do that is one aspect and the other aspect is nature there are decentralized workable viable decentralized methods only problem is that there is no state support for that we don't have the power to you know convince governments to go for decentralized uh, systems that is a problem at one level i can think of you having multiple dreams of uh, women's rights uh, environmental uh rights and environmental action the rights of uh, the downtrodden uh, in a so- socio political sense how should we grasp it under one package basically you have to see in terms of justice uh, how to formulate this whole thing so at each and every point you ask whether whatever you are doing is just or not so so whether it doesn't depend on which community you are working with it might be women transgenders or whatever the the thing is that justice should be ensured and similarly environmental justice whether you are being just towards nature how how are we behaving towards nature is our behavior towards nature just towards nature so that is what i feel that you know all this uh, this dreams this this whole concept of dreams and all that you know Uh, that has been proved to be utopian you know in whether it's marx or gandhi or whatever they, they, they come up with a ideal kind of a situation that you know you must have a society like that and all that but that doesn't work in practice 
so the thing is that you have to ensure justice at every point of time rahul banerji thank you very much for taking the hour with me ultimately as i understand from my conversation with rahul banerji in the search for solutions labels lose their meaning it's all about purpose driven by ideologies with names banerji was propelled into serving the poor in india but hard work on the ground taught him not to chase utopian dreams just do the work persist perhaps there is no destination just the ongoing struggle for betterment for media for change i'm sanjeev chatterjee